Thank you, Sally and Roger, for, for leading us. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. As uh, Martin shared when we uh, he started our service, can you believe it's the first Sunday in Lent? We're just getting over Christmas, aren't we? Six weeks today, you can eat your Easter eggs, because it'll be Easter Sunday, six weeks uh, today. Lent is, is seen as that time of preparation, a time of fasting, a, a, a time of prayer as we journey with Jesus uh, to the cross. And, and as Martin alluded to, during this season of Lent, we're going to look at the prayers uh, of Jesus. Prayer is the primary way in which we communicate with God. Now, I've got a dog, as I, I think most of you are aware, and her name is Nala, and she communicates with me. She does. Let me show you how she communicates with me. Oh, it gets better. the news, that's what she was saying to me there. I appreciate it, it's humorous, it's funny, it's cute, I can assure you it gets very annoying. Uh, I'm the only one in the house that she kind of does that to. Uh, I don't speak dog, I don't fully know what she was saying, I think she's saying she wants her dinner, that's what she wants, she's hungry, she wants something to eat, and, and that's how, how she communicates with me. And it's really hard not to laugh. And it's like a child. The more you laugh, the more she thinks she's doing a good thing and she carries on and does it more. But it's very, very frustrating. But we, we communicate in different ways. Babies communicate through crying. Don't worry, I haven't got a, a, a video of babies crying. But that's how they communicate, isn't it? Be, before they can speak. Before our daughter was born, uh, somebody said to us, dogs bark, cats meow, babies cry. If you get used to that, you'll be all right. Because that's, that's what happens. And before babies can talk, they communicate through, through crying, don't they? And, and, and they can communicate through that cry, whether that's pain, whether that's uh, hunger or, or sadness. And as parents, we learn to understand the, the various different cries. If it's not your child, it's not your baby, the cry just sounds like a cry. But if you know that child, you understand the way in which they're crying and with their facial experience. Also for, for children who grow up and are not able to communicate through talking. There's, there are still communication tools where the parents can uh, understand what their child is saying. And prayer is communication with the Father. And no one does that better than Jesus. And as we enter this season of Lent, we're going to look at Jesus' prayers. Now, in the Gospels, there are seven main recorded prayers of Jesus, but that's not to say Jesus only prayed seven times. We know that that's not true. We can read in passages like in Luke, where, 
where Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew uh, to a solitary, to a quiet place, uh, to be with his Father and to pray. And, and the word to notice there is often, it was part of his daily routine. It's, it was part of his DNA. He, he spent time in communication, in prayer, in, in talking with his Father. But there were seven particular prayers that the Bible has recorded and we can learn lots of them. And as we journey through Lent, uh, the astute of you will know that there are six Sundays, so we're going to look at six of these prayers. That, that's not to say that the seventh one that we're not looking at wasn't any good, so we've decided to stop that one. It's a prayer of Jesus. It was a good prayer. It was, the one we're not looking at is a prayer of thanksgiving from Matthew 11. And, and we're not looking at it because we're going to spend the bulk of our time in this series looking at some of the prayers that come towards the end of Jesus' life. Not all of them come to the end of Jesus' life, but the bulk of them. And the first prayer we're going to think about today is the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you grew up in church, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably said this prayer every Sunday service. You may have said it out loud in school assemblies. I don't think they do that anymore, but you would have said it out loud in, in school assemblies. If you went to church in the morning and in the evening, you probably said it in the morning and sung it in the evening. Did anybody sing the Lord's Prayer in the evening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an awful tune, isn't it? I grew up singing the Lord's Prayer and it was like a funeral dirge. You kind of think, I know Jesus has died, but this is supposed to be an uplifting, a, a powerful, a, a passionate a prayer. And yet, what we're doing when we sing the Lord's Prayer, the tune that we grew up with in my Welsh chapel, we were killing this prayer. It was an awful, awful tune. And it, and it, and it lost its life-giving specialness and power to me. Maybe you know what I mean. And often the Lord's Prayer became something we recited as opposed to something we prayed. The Lord's Prayer should be said with the passion of a, of a national anthem because it has so much depth and power within it. We're, we're, we're calling out to the living God. The 16th century German Reformation priest Martin Luther said this of the Lord's Prayer. He said the Lord's Prayer was the greatest martyr on earth. As we often recite this prayer, as opposed to praying this prayer, it has been tortured and it's often said without thinking. So back in the 1500s, people were thinking that we were killing, torturing this wonderful prayer. Now for you, maybe you miss saying the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis. Maybe you understand how the familiarity with the prayer has bred a almost a slight contempt for the prayer. Maybe you have a, an opinion on which version you use because you've got a preference to whether you say sins, debts or trespasses. remember doing a, um, speaking to somebody and he wanted to, before he died, he said, I want the Lord's Prayer at my funeral, but can I not have trespasses? I don't like trespasses. You wanted sins. Well, we have these differences of opinion of these kind of words in this prayer. And before we read the Lord's Prayer from Matthew's Gospel, let's briefly think about the setting and context 
an overview of this prayer of Jesus. So this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it's seen in both Matthew and Luke. Considering the power of the prayer, it's maybe a bit unusual that, that Mark has left it out. So sort of those, those three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. But maybe it's because the audiences that, that Matthew was speaking to and Luke were, were, were speaking to, that's where this prayer fitted. The longer version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew is said by Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's shorter version is said during a journey to Jerusalem. And so that may imply that actually this isn't the prayer said once, but it is said twice in two separate occasions. Slightly differently because it's speaking to different um, audience and context. Another question to ask with the Lord's Prayer is, why is it called the Lord's Prayer and not the disciples' prayer? After all, it's Lord, teach us how to pray. The disciples want to know how to pray. Somebody has said that it should be called the Lord's Model Prayer. It's an, because it's an answer to a question the disciples asked about Jesus, how they should pray. Personally, I think that while Jesus is giving teaching and an understanding and a framework to prayer, he was doing so from his own lived experience. You know, he went often to pray. This is Jesus' lived experience, so he's showing how he himself prayed. After all, if, if you ask a mechanic, can you show me how to fix an oil leak? What would the mechanic do? You wouldn't get a book out. He would fix it with you. He'd show you how he would fix it, and you would copy that. Think about the power of the Lord's Prayer. American author and Presbyterian minister uh, Frederick Buchner said this about the Lord's Prayer. To speak those words is to invite the tiger out of the cage. To unleash a power that makes atomic power look like a warm breeze. Just allow that to sink in. That's a powerful statement especially when we can look back in history and see the power in an atomic bomb, in a fairly relatively small bomb, the power that, and, the, 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 and the, the, the power that was displayed when that was dropped on Hiroshima, that power unleashed through a, a relatively small amount of nuclear energy. And Frederick Buchner is saying that when we speak the words of the Lord's Prayer, we're, we're letting that tiger out of a cage. And I don't know about you, I've never come face to face with a tiger outside of a cage, and I don't particularly want to. You know? Tigers or lions, they're, they're powerful, powerful animals. Can you imagine coming face to face with one? It makes atomic power look like a warm breeze. What he's saying here is that this prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' prayer, it is so powerful when we fully get to grips with what it is that we're praying to Jesus, to God. It carries so much within it. And yet we may have killed it by just reciting it without even thinking about it. We may have even abused this prayer 
over the last 2,000 years since Jesus first spoke it. And you see, if you think about this prayer in the context when Jesus said it, to new Jewish Christians, this would have felt unbelievably radical. He's laying out a new way of praying that's both powerful and personal, and it also has within it a sense of freedom and intimacy. If you think of the the Pharisees, who had this sense of keeping the law and doing things correctly, God was certainly not someone that you could be intimate with from a heart point of view, but was this this large and far-off being. And yes, God is still some large spiritual being, but Jesus is showing in this prayer that he's not far off, but he is close with us. And for those hearing that, it would have been so radical, and it would have turned things on its head. And so for us, centuries after, maybe the familiarity has taken the the shine off this prayer for us. But friends, Jesus' prayer still has the same amazing truths and power that it had when Jesus first said it. So how do we pray this prayer in fresh ways? Well, we do so by trying to understand it a bit more. So, I'm just looking at the clock, it's 20 to 11, I know you want a cup of tea or coffee and a biscuit, so we're going to have a whistle-stop tour of this prayer, okay? So buckle up, ready to go. So let's read it first, from Matthew's version. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So Jesus starts teaching on this prayer by saying what prayer isn't. By telling us that that prayer should not be showboating. You know, when I got ordained back in 2001, a friend that I was in college with, I asked him to say a prayer at my ordination. And 23 years later, I'm wishing I never asked him to say the prayer. He was, a, he was a, a Welsh speaker. Thankfully, he didn't do my prayer in Welsh because I couldn't have understood him, let alone anybody in Upminster. But this prayer went on and on and on and on. It was probably about seven plus minutes, this prayer. And he was calling out scripture. And I thought to myself, well, God knows the scriptures. And he was calling out all these things. That I thought, well, God surely knows all of that. And he was showboating. He was a good friend. But after my ordination, as you're having the, the obligatory bun fight as you do at these kind of things, you know, people are saying to me, God, he went on a bit, didn't he, in his prayer? Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't showboat. That's not, not who are you trying to impress? You know, this is a relationship. When you speak to somebody that you're, who you love, who you're close to, you, you, you don't put on this funny voice and, and use these words that you never speak in any other... You just speak to them. If I walked home after today and I walked into the living room, I said, Family, I've arrived! <laughs> Dear family, let's close our eyes before... Oh, God, well, don't speak like that! We carry on. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done 
in secret will reward you. Can I just add here, yes, prayer is personal. Yes, prayer has a private element to it. But that doesn't mean we use this verse to say, I'm never going to attend a, a corporate prayer meeting. I had somebody in one of my churches, she genuinely said to me, she's been a Christian for many years, because I don't come to prayer meetings because I don't believe in them. I said, what do you mean you don't believe in a prayer meeting? So, well, in Matthew, we're told to go into our room, shut the door, and pray in secret. I said, yes, we are, but we're also to come together and pray. What do we read in Hebrews? Let us not give up meeting uh, together. You know, we look at Acts chapter 2, the blueprint for the church. You know, they, they met together daily. They broke bread together. They devoted themselves. They prayed together. But she still didn't get it. So when you can't be bothered to attend a prayer meeting, can I just say, don't use that verse. Because that's not what it means. But rather Jesus says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Friends, just be who you are. Don't try and use words that you never use. Don't try and use words that you don't really understand. I had another friend in college, Craig, he's one of the lecturers now. He's very intelligent, Craig is. He's got two degrees and a doctorate and he lectures now in, in theology. And we used to have our Monday evening preaching classes and uh, our lecturer, Tutton, would ask a question and uh, Craig would answer and it's almost as if Craig would say, Craig, how many long words that nobody else will understand can I get into one sentence? So the lecturer, Ian Tenney, said, that's great, Craig, I understand what all those words mean, but what exactly do you mean? And Craig was like, no, in in plain English, please, in a way that everybody here can understand. You know, don't, 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 don't babble. Don't, don't try and think you'll be impressed. And then Jesus shares this powerful prayer. The first half of this prayer are, no, are what are known as the you petitions. This is where we focus on God and worship of him and the second half is thinking about the we, we petitions where we bring our requests to God. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So let's have that, that whistle-stop tour through this prayer. Firstly, our Father in heaven. Jesus uses the term Father, Abba. It's both respectful, but also familiar, being loving and personal. Jesus' favourite way of referring to God was as Father. And Jesus then invites his disciples, and therefore us here today, to, to address God as Father. If before we come to God we are known as enemies of God, how, how then can we come to God and speak to him as Father? We do that because Jesus shows us. Jesus invites us. We haven't, we haven't earned that right. We've been given it by grace. And so when we come to God as Father, we come as children. 
we come receiving all the blessings and all the relational stuff that children have. We have an identity as God's children. We have a, uh, an assurance of love and protection and guidance that, a bit like what uh, Sally was sharing about, I'm your shield, your rock, your, your, uh, your strength. We have all of that as a child that a father gives. And God gives it to us as father. We have that closeness. The same closeness in relationship that Jesus had with his father. And so in addressing Jesus as father, Jesus is, is framing this prayer and showing us how we're to frame our prayers. We're, we're coming to Abba, we're, we're coming to Dad. It was so radical and different from how people had addressed God before. Now I think that in, in the church, we, we haven't understood this probably because in some quarters of the church, there's been a, a struggle that people feel that we're, we're too familiar with God. You may have heard the phrase, you know, we, we treat God like the Almighty as opposed to the Almighty. That's not what we're doing when we call God Father. When we call God Father, Abba, Dad, it's not losing his almightiness. We, we don't have the strength to take that away from him. Whatever we call him, he's going to be almighty. But it's framing our relationship with the Almighty. When my kids call me Dad or Daddy, they're not ignoring any respect for me. They're not ignoring any authority I have. And yes, I'm fooling myself. I still have authority over my kids. I, I hear how that sounds. But I, I'm not, they're not losing that. But they're simply and wonderfully acknowledging who I am to them. I'm their Dad. And Jesus is saying, Our Father is simply doing that and he invites you and I to do the same. And when we just grasp that beginning of it, we could end here by apologies, we're not going to, but if we just grasp that, our Father, that would be radical and, and turning things on its head. So we call him Father while accepting that he's God and we're not. Jesus frames this prayer recognizing who God is and the power God the Father has. It's why, you know, in, in the garden before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, Jesus says, not my will, but yours. Jesus is God, and yet he recognizes the authority and the rule of the Father. But also notice, it's not, it's not my Father, it's our Father. Jesus is inviting us into a family relationship through this prayer. And when he teaches us to say, our Father, he's saying that we're acknowledging that we're part of a family. You know, it's a bit like if you send, if you've got siblings and you send a card to your dad, it's to our dad. Our parents. Our family. And it's all of us together, collectively saying, our Father, we're recognising who he is but we're recognising our place in his family as well. We're putting him first. A bit like, you know, where we, we, we can read elsewhere in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God. The Lord's Prayer shows us that when we put God first, we do that before then asking him to help us with the messes of life. So that's the first thing. Our Father in heaven. Then hallowed be your name. It's a real weird word, isn't it? Especially, I always think, because I had a friend and his surname was Hallows. So whenever I think, hallowed be your name, I always think of Michael. 
Michael Hallows, that was his name, which still is. But it's a word we don't use in, in modern speak, but it simply means putting God in his rightful place. It's honouring who God is. It's recognising that, that, that our lives seek to have God at the heart of them. Our, our vision, you know, Jesus, the heart of everything. This is what hallowed be your name means. That we're putting Jesus, putting God, putting Father, Son and Holy Spirit right at the heart, at the centre of our lives. It's living in the, the holiness of God, that God is, is intimately with us, but he's set apart, he's, he's different, he's better than us. We lift him high. That's why in our worship songs we lift God on high. We're hallowing his name because he alone is worthy. We're acknowledging God as the divine. He's, he's above us. He's, he's before us. His, his name might be more sacred and holy that God may be taken more seriously. It's a submission to the sacredness and holiness of God. When we say, hallowed be your name, we're immersing ourselves in the serious business of who God is. We immerse ourselves into his presence and then we take that presence, that understanding and positioning into our day, into our lives, into every situation. Hallowed be your name has given us the right perspective of who God is. And so that counterbalances, doesn't it, that we think we're too almighty with God. Now, the phrase, hallowed be your name, you know, is a bit of theology and teaching for us here. It's, it's what is known as a divine passive. Don't worry, I'd never heard of it either. It's a divine passive, which was a common way that Jesus used to show that God was behind the action. And so this is a way to show that God is behind our lives. Not like a puppeteer, but that God is there and he always will be. God is the person who's in charge and everything is flowing from God. It's, it's putting God in his rightful place. Hallowed be your name. Then it's your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus' common message was the coming of God's kingdom. Now a kingdom is simply a set of values and authority that you and I submit ourselves to. And so we're created to live in a kingdom with the king, with Jesus. His kingdom is breaking into our lives and the world now. It's people living by the values of God's kingdom. And we do that by letting his will in our lives be done. And so to pray for, for God's will to be done, we need to look at things differently. We need to ask, what is important to God? Not what's important to us or what's important to the church, but what is important to God. It's, so it's living a life not of self-interest and self-preservation. It's letting go of everything. Everything that you have. You know, it's, uh, Paul talks about running the race and, 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 and letting everything off that weighs us down. And everything that we are belongs to him. It challenges the powers in our lives, how we see the world, but it can be a freeing experience because that's living as God's rule and not ours. It's a bit like, you know, my dad would always say, as long as you're living under my roof, you play by my rules. Anybody else's father say that to them? Anybody else say that to their kids? Yeah. 
long as you're in the my roof, you play by my rules. God doesn't do it in quite a judgmental and authoritative tone like that. He does it through loving relationship. But it's your kingdom come. Your will be done, God. Your rules in my life. So, so these first three, they're the you petitions. Addressing God in the closeness as Father, honouring his name, who he is, and then seeking to live by his rules, to live in his kingdom. And then we move on to look at the, the we petitions, our requests to the God who we put in his rightful place. Are you with me so far? Yeah, yeah, we've done the you's, now let's go on to the we's. Give us today our daily bread. And this bread is, is more than food. We, we cannot survive without food or water. And we can't produce that out of thin air. Jesus is getting us to ask our Father for our daily needs. This isn't saying, God, I'd like a really nice car. or like a really big house. But Jesus is showing us how God is interested in every single detail of our daily needs. And when we do that, we start to see God is involved in our daily lives. Let me ask you, do you only trust God for the big things, for the crisis moments, or do you trust God for the daily things that you face? Do you pray for the crisis moments, for the big things, or do you pray for absolutely everything? That's that's what Jesus is inviting us to here. Give us today our daily bread. You know, God, for the smallest things in life, I'm bringing this before you. I'm recognising that you give me everything. And so when we ask God for our daily bread, what we're doing is inviting God to be involved in our everyday situations. And when we do that, we'll find our days are different because we start to intentionally take God everywhere. And we see God in every aspect of our lives. Daily bread keeps us dependent on God and not ourselves. It's a lesson of complete trust so that we know the one who sustains us. And then forgive us as we forgive those against us. Now here there are the three different words we can use. There's debts, there's trespasses, there's sins. It's interesting to note that here that Matthew, he uses the words debts referring to, to those things that we owe the things that we've left unpaid, as it were, the things that we've left undone, that we've been asked to do, whereas Luke refers to our sins, the things that we've done wrong. Both are valid and included. For Jesus is referring to the way we wander off the path that that God has for us. Therefore, we trespass against God and others because we trespass into, into paths that God does not want us to go down. And this part of the prayer forces us to stand up to our, our own sinful condition. It's not simply, it's easy to say that the world is broken. And we point a finger. The world is broken. But in this prayer, it's recognising that we are broken. We do wrong to God and to others, much in the same way others do wrong to us. And so it means when we pray, you know, forgive us as we forgive those who, who sin against us, that, that we continue to submit ourselves to God on a daily basis as we receive our forgiveness. But notice, and this is where we don't like it, it's in the context of us forgiving others. Us forgiving those who sin 
trespass, our debts against us. It's a big ask. If you're anything like me, you can do wrong and you can ask God to forgive you. You can do wrong and you can ask others to forgive you and you expect that to happen. But you can do that while at the same time withholding the same forgiveness when something is done wrong to you and we carry it around like a prized chip on our shoulder. Many years ago, I came out of my house to find there was a taxi on my drive. I hadn't ordered the taxi. And the taxi driver had put his seat back and he was asleep in his taxi. And so I knocked on the window and he he wound the window down and he wound his seat back up and he said, yes. I said, said, can I help you? He said, no, why, what's the matter? I said, well, you're on my drive. He said, I know, but I, I was tired. I said, that's not my problem, is it? And we had this back and forth, where in the end, I just told the guy to clear off. He was trespassing against me on my driveway. And he couldn't see why I was annoyed with him. He said, sorry, and off he went. I could not believe it. And so for the next couple of weeks, anybody who would listen, I would tell this story with a varying different degree of incredulity, I was incredulous, about how, about how could he do this? How dare he do this? Again, to see what I was doing? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Oh no, I was not. I wanted to carry that around with me and tell anybody that yes, he did wrong. But I need to let that go. Because I want to be forgiven of the things that I want others and God to let go. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I don't know if you're someone who gives things up for Lent. Anybody give things up for Lent? No. (laughs) Good that you've got a good song of willpower, you're not going to even start. If I don't start, I can't fail. I like that attitude. That's great, that is. People give up chocolate, don't they, and crisps. Others give up meat or hot drinks or social media or TV or any other pleasures in life that people enjoy. I think I've said to you before, and you only have to look at me to know that I love my food, but but I love sweets. When we moved and I went to a new dentist on my first checkup, she always said, you have a lot of fillings, don't you? I said, child of the 70s, I was. We didn't worry about... when the, the dentist gives you a lolly to take away because you've been good, you know that we're in a different age, you know? I've always loved sweets. As a kid, I loved them. As an adult, I loved them. And so I've chosen to fast from sweets. To which Reuben, my son, said, oh dear, watch out, this is going to be a grumpy daddy for the next six weeks in our house. I don't mind telling you, it's only been since Wednesday and I'm struggling already. I usually write my sermon with, with, a, with a bag of sweets at my side that helps me concentrate. That's what I say. So sorry that this one's not as good. I haven't had any sweets to concentrate with this one. And the reason it's hard is because temptation is, isn't it? And for things far more dangerous than a pack of sweets. We live in a world not as God would want it. And we live in a world where we have no idea what's coming. Sometimes that's a good thing. It's good to be surprised by God, but we also live in a world where we don't know the bad things that are coming to 
what we do know is that they will come. And we're taught by Jesus to pray for daily bread, to pray for daily forgiveness, but also to keep an eye on the future, that we would not be giving in to the evil one. We'd not give in to temptation. We'd not go down that path. We're reading uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Jesus knew that was the case. After all, he himself was tempted by the devil in the wilderness after his baptism. That's what we associate with Lent. Jesus was tempted in the garden about not going through with his crucifixion. And to overcome it, Jesus prayed against his temptation. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we are. And yet Jesus won the battle. David, King David, was led down a wrong path. Peter denied Jesus, even though he said he would never do this. Paul told the church in Corinth, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Friends, pray against temptations. Pray about them that we need to avoid and pray about the evil that we can never avoid. It's in the world in which we live and yet Jesus shows us that God is ready to help us to not give in and to save us from the evil one. And then finally, I said it was a whistle-stop tour, didn't I? The kingdom, the power and the glory. Love you. Love you more. That's how we often say goodnight or goodbye as a family. We don't do the Waltons, the John Boy thing and shout to each other's bedrooms. But it's love you, love you more. Simply how we close off with each other. It has a deep meaning for us. It means that we love each other with a love that is unending and unquestioning. And Jesus ends the Lord's Prayer with the words, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Jesus ends the prayer with an unending and unquestioning of worship to God to the one true God by giving him all the honour and all the glory for all good things in the world and in our lives. It's what we often call in the church life a doxology, which is an expression of praise to God that never ends. It's how Jesus signs off with the Father. And then at the end of the prayer we get the Amen. It's a Hebrew word that we've adopted into our English language. It's not a, it's not a formal goodbye, It's a way of holding on to everything Jesus has prayed and we simply say, yes. We say, let it be. It's an anticipation of all that God is going to do. Yes, this is what is true. We look at all that Jesus has prayed throughout this prayer and we say, yes, this is what we believe to be true. May it be as you say. So how do you come to the Lord's Prayer? How do you how do you pray it? How do you allow it to, to be a sense of freshness throughout it? Tom Wright, who was Bishop of Durham and is now Professor at the University of St Andrews, suggests we use one of these seven components, the lines that we've gone through today, and we pray each one every day of the week. Another option is to pray the Lord's Prayer throughout the day as you wash your hands or you do the dishes. Maybe, I know people who set an alarm on their phone for their lunchtime. And they pray the prayer every day at the same time. They just pause, they stop what they're doing. And they just pray this prayer. 
Maybe throughout Lent you will say this prayer every day. And maybe that will become a lasting practice. But not reciting it without a thought, but praying it intentionally. And through it, seeing your worship life grows, you honour your Father God. Seeing and inviting God into your everyday ordinariness of your daily bread. Having a deeper understanding of what forgiveness means and so on. But friends, by being intentional with this prayer, we allow the Holy Spirit to cement these words and what they mean into our hearts. And in doing so, we allow the Holy Spirit to cement God himself into the hearts of us in a more intentional way. Eugene Peterson said, a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of heaven life consists of things to do and ways to think. But if there is no prayer at the centre, nothing lives. Prayer is the heart that pumps blood into all the words and acts. Jesus lived this way. And through this prayer, he was seeking to help us live this way too. So shall we close by saying the words together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.